You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. This morning, we're in the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts, and uh, that's where we are. And I'm excited. There are some interesting things in the book of Acts. Um, but before we look at today's passage, um, how many of you guys had a, a birthday party when you were a kid? Like a themed birthday party? So a good bit of you. I didn't, just so you know, and it's not sad for me. I'm happy I didn't. It wasn't until I was 16 that I had my first, like, real birthday party. And it wasn't like one of those sweet 16s like you see on MTV. It wasn't like that at all. It was like four friends. And I got, this is a true story. I never, because my family, we didn't have a whole lot of money. I never had any name brand clothing. Everything was Walmart or hand-me-downs or whatever. There was nothing with a name brand. And I remember 16, my 16th birthday party, my friend Justin gave me a Tommy Hilfiger shirt. I wore that thing every day. Like, and then he also gave me a blue Nike shirt. I'm like, this is awesome. The funny thing is, like, Ashley kind of had a similar experience. And we're, like, looking through. She, she got some, um, some uh, portraits from her, her parents and her grandma's house when she was back home visiting recently. And we're looking through these, like, class photos. And, all, like, everyone's a dress. And then we get to this one year in her preteens, and it's this Nike gray T-shirt. I'm like, what's up with the Nike shirt? She said that was the first name brand shirt I ever had. I wore it every day. My friend gave it to me. I'm like, I had the same experience. Like, so we had more in common than we knew. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's not the point of what I'm talking about tonight. Birthday, or this morning, birthday parties. Um, birthday parties kind of always freaked me out as a kid because when I think of birthday parties, there, you got two different options as entertainment for kids. One, which I always thought was kind of awesome, and it's, a, it's like the good side of the coin, magicians. Magicians always blew my mind. I thought they were awesome. But if you didn't get a magician, what's the other typical entertainment for kids? Clowns. Clowns. If you were a clown or have ever thought about a clown ministry or something like that, um, just close your ears for me. I'm kidding. Clowns always freaked me out. And I think part of it was because like, I'm a person who doesn't like anything touching my skin, like lotions, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I won't put lotions on unless the doctor says you must put that on, and even then, it's like, I probably won't do it too often. Like, so for somebody to intentionally paint their whole face, like, in crazy colors, and then to, like, not really talk, but just, like, run into walls and do silly things, I'm like, as a kid, I was like, I don't like you at all. You're freaking me out. You're not going to get paint on my face. Uh, you look scary. And so, like, I was always freaked out. So I was glad I never had a birthday party. But you got two sides. To me, magicians were awesome. Be- I literally, as a kid, went to the library and took every DVD, they didn't have DVDs, every VHS and every book on magic that I could possibly find at the library because I wanted to be a magician. Like, I thought, this is going to be awesome. I can make things disappear. I got the rubber pencil thing going on. I, I knew how to make like a salt shaker disappear. It really wasn't that cool of a trick. It's pretty lame. I can do one card trick still to this day. And I can only do it once in front of a crowd because after the second time they figure out what I did. So, but I can do one and it'll blow your mind. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes if you have that time. Um, but like, so there, there's those two options that I always thought and one was always entertaining to me. Uh, I remember there was a show like, I forget what it was called now, but there was literally a show on Fox where they, the magicians showed how they did all these magic tricks, and I'm thinking this is the coolest thing ever. Like, now I can be a magician. Um, thankfully, God didn't let me choose that career path today. 
When we look at the book of Acts, though, we will see a magician. You don't think you're going to find a lot of magicians in the scripture. There's no clowns in here, thank God. Um, or they go by different names, but not clown. Um, but we're going to look at a magician in the book of Acts and see his story. And we'll see how he's a little bit different. And we want to see, when we look at the scripture, we believe that God is speaking to us today through his written word. So this isn't just a, a story from a long time ago that's a good story. This is something that applies to us today, and we want to look at it. Starting in Acts chapter, um, chapter, I lost my chapter. I think we're in chapter 8, yes. Chapter 8, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, the one in front of you is yours to keep. Uh, you can also follow along on the screen here. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They had all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And when they believed Philip... As he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and about the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Let's take a break there. Now, first thing i got to explain is even though Simon, we know Simon is Simon the magician, he wasn't like David Blaine magic. He wasn't like David Copperfield, where it's all illusions, where, hey, if you really knew that the mirrors that we used or the secret techniques or the sleight of hand or the diversions that we used, you'd, you'd know that nothing really happened. This Simon was practicing magic, and he was amaz- amazing people because it was real spiritual tricks and magic. This was something beyond a, a card trick. You know what I'm talking about? We see the same term used later in the book of Acts where, where this term magician or term magic is referred to somebody that Paul then calls a son of the devil. This is something that's a spiritual thing. Some, some Jews would be practicing this dark magic and, uh, and other Samaritans and other people would be practicing this magic to create power for themselves. That's what we see Simon here doing. He says, this is what he says, and saying that he himself was somebody great. And the whole, all of Samaria was flocking around this guy named Simon. He was doing magic. If there was a guy who walked in front of you and began to do crazy tricks, and there was no strings, there was nothing, you'd probably be intrigued, correct? You'd probably start to follow him around. And so that's what's happening. All of Samaria, we've looked at how Philip has come and he's brought the gospel to Samaria. And now the work of God is actually doing things. People are being delivered. People are being healed. And Simon now sees Philip come proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and seeing people healed. And now Simon's scratching his head thinking, this is impressive. This is amazing. I I can't do these tricks. I can't do what they're doing. I want to I I get off here on, on, a few, on a little note here for a second. I find it really interesting that in verse 9 we see that Simon is going around saying, what is he saying? That he himself is somebody great. This is a man, Simon the magician, who's not just some creepy 
sideshow magician. I was up in Buffalo uh, last week, and we were going to an ice cream place, and we're standing outside waiting for our ice cream, and I looked at a little sign that said, I forget the name of the guy, something the magician is going to be here between six and seven. thinking, and he had like this big weird mustache and like a crazy hat and stuff. I'm like, I'm not coming to this ice cream shop at that time because that guy's going to be here. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that guy's kind of creepy. This is, not, this is not what Simon is. He's doing amazing things. This is not some little kid show party magician. There's real spiritual power here that's happening. And not only is he using this power for, to gain attention, but he's building his pride. He's building his ego. Does that make sense? Tracking with me here? He says about himself that, there's, that he is somebody great. Last week, we had a, um, a softball game, a church softball. We, uh, we pulled an amazing comeback win at the end there. Uh, we're, st- we're in the playoffs right now. But during the game, uh, somebody from the other team hit a foul ball, and I'm the catcher, so I can clearly see if it's down the foul line or not from where I'm at. From where I'm at. And the ump calls it a foul ball. And the guy who hit it, he's running this way, and when he looked, he thought it was fair. And he came back, and he gave the ump this death stare, like... I will kill you in your sleep kind of stare. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, well, this is church softball. Chill out, man. Like, and and the, the ump goes, the ump goes it, was, it was foul. And I looked at him because I could tell the guy was really angry. I said, it was foul. He goes, of course you would say that. And this is my response. I'm honest and I have integrity. And he goes, what, I don't? And, like, and started walking away. And I'm like, that's not what I was saying. When you live in the kingdom of God and when you're abiding in Christ, when you're living the lifestyle in Christ, I know things about myself that when I say them could sound arrogant. I might have sounded to that guy arrogant when I said I'm honest and have integrity. But guess what? I know that I have integrity and that I'm not going to lie about a foul ball and softball. When you are abiding in Christ, you you can boast in what Christ has done in you and know who you are, and it's not pride. Make sense? I know who I am in Christ. That's not pride. Here we see a man who's all about power and calling himself great so that people will see him. It says he called himself great, and what does it say? From the least to the greatest, they said this man has the power of God that he's called great. They began to ascribe to him that name that he was giving himself. He was calling himself, basically, when you, when you study this out, basically he was saying he was a form of deity. That he had magical spiritual powers, and he was amazing, and he needed everybody's attention. If you look, let's look at 1 Corinthians real quick. If you can flip in your Bibles there, I want to read this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. says this, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble birth. But God chose what is foolish of the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What I, what I feel like, this, this is talking about our salvation primarily, but not only that, we 
all the good of who I am, every good thing that Jesse Miller is, is because of who he is. And so I can confidently point out the things that I know are good in my life because he put them there and boast in those things because he put them there. So when I say I have integrity, it's not because I'm pointing at myself. It's because I was weak. I was selfish. I was broken. We talked before, alienated and hostile. But because of Christ in me, I know I'm an honest guy. I know that I don't lie. It's, I'm not saying that arrogantly. I'm saying that it's because who Christ is in me is propelled out of me. It's okay for us to recognize the good gifts that God has given us and say, this is who I am. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm no longer broken. I'm no longer angry. This is who Christ says I am, that I'm redeemed, that I'm pure, that I'm spotless, that I'm going on for him, that I have honesty, that I have purity, that I desire his kingdom. This is who we can say about it. This is what we can say about ourselves. Does that make sense? It's not arrogance. I feel like so many people don't understand a Christian walking in the love of God and and walking in the peace of God, and they look at them and say, well, aren't they holier than now? Aren't they so special? They think they're above the rest. No, we don't think we're above the rest. But yes, we're in Christ, so we're seated in heavenly places. That's who I am. So I can look at people and say, I have this, I have that in my life. These are the things that God's still renewing, still working on. But this is the thing that he has built, and it blows my mind. Amen? Nobody? Amen. I'm saying this because I can only look at myself in this example, but you have the same thing. You can look at the things and say, God's put this in me that wasn't there before. And I can, I can boast in him because he did that. I can say this about myself because he did that. Every ability that I have, I don't walk around in some kind of false humility, afraid to look arrogant. I walk around saying, this is who I am because of Christ, and he's used the foolish things such as Jesse Miller, and he's blowing the minds of the world. I can say that and know that it's not arrogance because it's what God has called us to do. My identity needs to be found in who Christ says that I am. This is, this is what we're doing in our home groups right now, and this is heavily in my heart. We have to know who we are in Christ, who he says we are. That's who we as believers are supposed to be. This is not the kind of pride that Simon the magician had. Simon has his entire identity wrapped up in having fame in Samaria. So he sees this guy named Philip come and bring a new kind of fame, a new kind of power, and he says, I want that. I see that it's real. I want that so that I can have power. So he followed it around and it says, it says that he continued with Philip. He continued on with him. Let's read a little further. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they had laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner. 
matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven from you. For I see that you are in in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaria. We don't know what happens to Simon after that. (laughs) We see the apostles, let me explain in case you miss what happened there. The apostles who were in Jerusalem heard the Samaritans all of a sudden are receiving Christ. So it's no longer for them in Jerusalem. It's no longer for the Jews or the, or the Gentiles there. It's, it's for the Samaritans now. We talked last week how Samaritans were considered lesser than. They were basically half-breeds. That's what they would have called them. They were lesser than people. And now the gospel is proclaimed to them and they're equal in the kingdom. And so the apostles' response is, let's go there and let's pray for them that they receive the Holy Spirit, that they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they show up and Simon sees that the Holy Spirit, there's some kind of physical, visible sign that the Holy Spirit has fallen on these Samaritans when the apostles laid their hands on them. And Simon says, I want that power as well. Hey, here's some money. Could you give me the power to give them the Holy Spirit? so that I can have that power. He didn't want the presence of God. Simon here in this moment is not following around the presence of God saying, God, I want more of you. I want your spirit in me. I want you to work on my heart. I want you to make me more into your son. This is not what Simon's saying. He's saying, there's power, there's power, there's power. I want power. Give me power. That's what Simon's after. He wasn't wanting God. He wanted his fame back. He had lost his fame and fortune, and he's thinking, how can I get back some of this fame that I had lost? You don't get Jesus because you want power or to feed your pride. You don't get Jesus and the Holy Spirit because, you do get Jesus and the Holy Spirit because you see how great he is and how you need him in your life, that he needs to be Lord. That's when you receive the Holy Spirit. It's not about fame, it's not about authority, it's not about power, it's not about us. It's about him and his transforming work that he needs to be Lord. We need to submit everything to him. This moment, Simon was all about pride and position. He wanted his position in Samaria restored to him. He wanted his abilities built back up. And he thought that he could buy it from the apostles. I think it's, let me read this first. Proverbs 27, 2 says this. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. We have this man named Simon walking around saying, hey, this is who I am. This is, give, give me this title that I'm great, that I'm awesome. I'm Simon the Magnificent. <laughs> and sometimes we get the same thing in the kingdom of God where people begin to see giftings in their life and they want people to see that gifting so they begin to tell people, hey, this is who I am. This is, I am, if I get a business card and it says apostle so-and-so on it, I'm probably throwing a business card away. You won't, unless somebody calls and says, hey, I need to know who the pastor is, I don't identify myself as Pastor Jesse Miller. It's Jesse, that's who I am. You assume to me that position 
I look at people who are prophetic and I say they're a prophet. They've got the prophetic gift. I look at people who are apostolic and I say they're apostolic. They have that gift. Those positions in the kingdom of God are not self-assigned. We can know our calling. I knew that I was called to ministry. I knew that I was called to pastor. But it wasn't until somebody said, hey, I need you to do this. that I said, okay, if God wants me to do it, I'll do it. There's a book over there, and it's talking about the life of David. I love the life of David because David was anointed to be king, but he didn't walk around saying, hey, I'm king, let's make myself king. We see him over and over again say with the mentality, God, if you want me to be king, you'll put me in that place. You'll let other people call me king. Okay, now my son's trying to kill me and take my kingdom. God, if you want me to be king, you keep me as king, whatever you want. When David was anointed and he was called, he saw Saul, who was a bad, evil king, and he would not kill him. He said, God's got him there. I don't have, like, I, I'm not taking his position. Even though I'm anointed for the position, I'm not going to take him out to take his position. God will establish me. In the kingdom, we have to let other people, and we have to let God himself put us in position. We can't, this can't be about how do I get in position. Does that make sense? Am I losing somebody on this? The kingdom of God is all about him seeing who you are and letting other people see the giftings in you, fanning that in flame and pushing you into that place. It's never about building our own little mountain. First Peter chapter 4 says this. As each of us received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. These gifts that God has put in you, the, the, the things, the characteristics that God has stirred in your heart, who you are in Christ isn't so that you can exalt yourself, it's so that you can exalt him and give him glory and praise and dominion forever and ever. These gifts are for service. I believe that if you are called, if, you, if you're a believer, if you have placed your faith in Christ and you call him your Lord, then there is a transforming work and giftings that he's already put in you. And he's stirring them up. But God wants to put them in you, so not so that you're glorified in yourself, but so that he is exalted and so that you're used in his kingdom. This is a kingdom built on serving one another and loving one another and glorifying him. That's what the kingdom of God is. It goes completely contrary to this society. Society says, find out what you're good at, let everybody know you're good at it, and build your own career. The kingdom of God says, here's what he's given you a gift for. Let people see that gift. Flourish in that gift so that you can exalt him and the kingdom of God. It's completely contrary. These gifts are to glorify him. I love that, that Simon is an example for us here where he tried to buy the gift of God. This is hilarious to me. It's absolutely insane to me. I, I just love it. He tried to buy God's gift, like, like it's some kind of like magical formula. Like, like for Christmas this last year, speaking of the magician thing, we, my brother-in-law, he's a, he's a funny guy, and he's into like some, some funny things, and Ash and I saw this magic kit, and we're like, Dan would love this magic kit as a, like a funny gift. So we bought him like a $20 magic kit. It was awful. It was, it was junk. <laughs> so don't do that. But you can, you can buy silly things. You can buy 
more power for your car. You can buy better computers. You can buy a lot of better everything. There's a bigger and better and faster everything. You cannot purchase more of the presence of God, more of the authority of God, and more of the power of God in your life. He is not for sale. He is not an item. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not like, let me explain, he's not like a physical person walking around with hands. He is a person with a mind and a will and an emotion. He's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not an item that you can purchase and take more of, like a vitamin in the morning. That's not what it is. And he tries to do that. You cannot buy God. You can't control him. Psalms 115 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Psalms 135 says this, the Lord does whatever pleases him in heavens and on the earth and in the seas and all the depths. God does what God wants to do. You can't control him. You can't buy him. You can't put him in a box. He will do what he wants to do. So often we get so theological and so systematic. Like this is how God does this. This is how God will do that. And God says, I do what I want. Yeah, he's, he, he does what's in his character. He does what's in his nature. He won't go beyond who he is. But who he is is beyond our minds. You and I are bound by gravity. He created gravity. He's not bound by gravity. Like, that's how God works. He doesn't have laws like you and I do. God does what he wants to do. So if he wants to pour out a spirit and do a new thing in you that he's not doing in the person beside you, he can do that if he wants to do it. Let me, you can't control him, but you can host him. You can host his presence. Sorry, I just got real... You can host him. You can steward what he's doing in your heart. You can give him a place. You can do this through prayer. You can do this through worship. You can do this through waiting on him. Waiting on him, I've said this before, and I want to be very clear. Waiting on him is not sitting, doing nothing with your life, saying, well, if God wants to do something, he will. Waiting on him is an intentional moment. Say, God, I'm listening to you. I want to hear your will. I want to wait for you. The actual one, we see the waiting on, waiting on the Lord. It's more of a term of like a hunter waits for a deer. Like he's in the right spot, just re- ready to receive. You can host the presence of God by saying, God, I want more of who you are. God, I desire you. I desire you to change my life. Jesus, let's just worship you. I'm worshiping you in this moment. I'm looking at who you are, not who I am. God, I'm putting myself in a place to listen. So often, we want to try to get something quick. I've preached this before, that we think Christianity is a get-rich-quick scheme. Like, God, I got a really bad problem with this. If I come to church on Sunday morning for 35 minutes, then I'll leave there and everything will be changed. That's not the way this is. God, God loves it when we just sit at his feet and say, God, I don't want any other agenda other than your agenda. I don't want any other thing with my day other than what you have for my day. Whatever it is, God, that's what I want. You can host his presence by being there ready to receive, ready to love him, ready to give him your worship, ready to spend time with him. Does that make sense this morning? You can host him. You can't control him, but you can host him. 
We are the temple of God's Spirit, but we see in Scripture these moments where God, God lives in the church, we're all the temple, but there are these moments where we are being filled back up, where there's like an extra filling, an extraordinary filling of the presence of God. It's okay to host those moments. Say, God, I want more of your presence than I've ever felt before. Somebody should get excited this morning. This is, maybe it's just for me. Maybe I'm the one who just needs to hear this this morning. So you can host his presence. You can steward the gifts. We hear that in Scripture about stewarding what God is doing in your life. Whatever your gifting is, whether it's hospitality, preaching, serving, uh, the prophetic, whether it's singing, whatever your gifting is, you can steward that. You can work on it. You can invest in it. You can do that. So you can do these things, but you can't buy them. You can't buy the gift of hospitality. Sorry. You can take your classes and all that stuff, but you can't buy things that are from God. One last thing. You can, you can be a part of imparting gifts. That's a strange concept. You can't control God, but yet you see the apostles are able to lay their hands on people and impart more of the Holy Spirit into people. That's a strange concept, isn't it? Simon saw that, and he thought that he could earn it or buy it. That's not the way it is. It, that, that gifting is given. That is given to people. We see the laying on of hands for more of the Holy Spirit and stirring up of gifts and, and, and uh, confirmation of ministry throughout the New Testament. We see it throughout Acts, and we through, see it in other places. In 2 Timothy, we see this. For this reason, I remind you to fan and flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. We do see that there is this moment where we as believers can lay hands and believe for more of God's Spirit to be upon each other, to be in our lives, and see God actually show up and do that. Whether it's an internal change or an external change. This passage leads most people to believe that this was the gift of tongues because it was a visible thing that all of Samaria could see when they laid hands on, all of a sudden something changed in these individuals. There is something about this that I feel is so lacking from who we are as a church and, and, and our culture that we, that we internally think that if we do these good things, God's Spirit will just have to be there. I'm, I'm just going to say who we are and, and what I believe. I believe in all the, the supernatural gifts. I do. We as a church believe in it. We believe in tongues. We believe in prophecy. We believe in healing. We believe that God works because God does what he wants to do. And there's no limit that I could put on him. I just can't. So if he still wants to heal, he heals. If he still wants to, to deliver, he does that. If he wants to go through a prophetic word, if he wants to change our life, if he wants to do whatever he wants to do, he can do. And I've... I think sometimes we get so, like, afraid of God doing that because we're afraid that if he uses us in ways we're not comfortable with or used to or we can't really explain, then we'll feel embarrassed. I've had many people not want to get prayed for because they felt like they would be embarrassed afterwards. I've never once, and I've seen a lot of people be filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that was supernatural or over, maybe it was just overwhelming joy. I've seen people like they get, they get prayed for and they just start laughing because God was filling them with joy when they were broken and in despair when they walked in. 
I've seen people start to cry because God's presence was so strong. I've seen people speak in tongues. I've seen people get a prophetic word. And I've seen all that happen. I've never once seen somebody walk away from that experience with the divine and holy God and say, man, I'm really embarrassed that that happened to me. Instead, what I've seen over and over again is, God, I want more of that. God, I want more of your presence to fill me with joy that's unexplainable, to fill me with, with vision and words and confirmation of who you are that I've never even believed in my, about myself before. When you experience the power of God and when you receive it, you won't be embarrassed by it and you won't regret it. These Samaritans weren't walking away went, that was weird, we should probably go home and, and hide for a week because now the other people in Samaria are freaked out. no. I love, I love, let's look at that verse again. How, how does this story of Simon end? That he's rebuked. He says, pray that this doesn't happen. Pray for me that what you said doesn't happen. And then the last verse, 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. The gospel keeps going. What happens here is not hidden, it's not isolated, it keeps going. Simon's done. The story of Simon's done, but the gospel keeps going. That one idiot who thought he could buy God, that, that's not the point. Does it make sense? You will never walk away from a, a, an experience of a divine God changing your life and, and start thinking about, man, we should really go check on that guy or whatever. Or, man, I really feel embarrassed for myself that I was crying when God was doing something. What? God just did something. I'm not embarrassed when I cry on this stage. I try to contain it just so I can be articulate and make you understand what I'm saying. But I'm not embarrassed of the fact that I cry when God's doing something in my heart. Why would I be? Those are the most precious moments to me. When he shows up and fills his people, it's better than anything else. I want to ask us basically two questions before we, we're done here. And I'm wrapping up. Do you want God or do you want the Holy Spirit just because you need Him in your life and you know that's where joy is? Or do you want Him so that you can have more power or authority or whatever? And maybe not even, maybe, maybe you're like, well, I've never really asked for the Holy Spirit to fill me and speak in tongues or whatever and all that, those things. But, I, but there are people, and this, and this is true, I'm not saying it here so much, but there are people who go to church for political gain. Every, I mean, every president in the last hundreds of years is said to be some kind of form of Christian, and they go to church. Somehow I doubt that. <laughs> Somehow I doubt they're all believers. Sorry. But it's a political edge, you know? It's, it's something there. Like, if I do this thing, and if I go to church, then my family member will love me, right? Or if I go to that denomination, then I'll be acceptable, and, and, and I'll, I'll, have some, I'll have some sway with this community. Or, or if I teach at a home group, or if I, if I sing on the worship team, or if I help with this outreach, then maybe I'll get a little bit more, I'll feel better either about myself, or I'll look better in front of other people. I'll earn respect or something like that. Does that make sense? So much of, 
American Christianity is based on that. We do these things in order to get this kind of gain. When the truth is, there's, there's no more to gain. There, it's just his presence. That's all. That's it. And it's given. And we can just receive it because he's everything. This morning, what I want is, if we can go into worship here, what I believe God's saying is, I believe that if our elders can come forward, I do want to see us say, God, we want more of your presence. And I want to pray with you. I believe in the laying on of hands. But the only reason for more of his presence is because we need him and he's awesome and he's amazing and it's all that's good. That's why we can sing love and hope and joy and peace and life. That's what we believe comes through Jesus. It doesn't say and power and strength and attention and personal gain. It doesn't say that. It's love, hope, joy, peace. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's who he is when he fills us more and more, and I want that. So this morning, as we go into worship, I'm going to be up front, and I want to pray with you. I want some of the other elders to be able to pray with you that you would receive more of the Holy Spirit. It's not because I'm magical. It's because it's what God calls us to do in a church. I'm not a magician. I'm just, I just love his presence. So this morning, I just trust for more of his presence. So can we do that? Let's, let's stand up. Let's worship him. And if you want more of his presence than you felt before, then we want to pray for that too. We want to believe and, and stir that up and lay hands on you. So if the elders can come forward, and let's go into worship. <laughs>